On the show today, the showcase of our lives, a vast space between us, and smushing D&D monsters together in three, two, one. Alex, are you ready for a pebble showcase? I'm ready for a knockdown and a knockout. A knockout. Oh, well, we've got a wonderful plethora of things to for people to enjoy. All three three new things to discuss here on the show. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Nathan. And I am Alex. And on this episode, we're doing... We're giving you a showcase of content. Hope you enjoy. Alex, as you're probably aware, uh, this is the time of year where all the game studios come out and they start talking about their showcases, new products that are coming out for the uh, coming year. Uh, we've had them from Sony and Ubisoft, and pretty much all the companies have been coming out and you know telling us about the new stuff. Yeah, all the companies, Microsoft and uh, Sony and Ubisoft. Yes. <laughs> That's all of them. No, no other companies are existing, so it's fine. I can't remember any of the others off the top of my head. Well, there was a summer game fest. There was really one that I actually sat down and watched from start to finish. And, and that was the Microsoft Showcase, the, the Xbox Game Showcase for 2023. And I'm kind of glad that it's the one that I chose to watch uh, because it really was one of the better showings I think that they've had this year uh, well that Xbox has had but out of all the conferences I think it was really really strong which they needed uh, because last year was fairly pathetic and um, uh, but they needed to have a, a win as a lot of people said and I think that they did and there's a, a lot of things that I could go over Cyberpunk 2077 there's new DLC coming out which I have actually heard side note not just that the new DLC is coming out, but in that, CD Projekt Red has done a ton of tweaks to things like the AI to make the enemies far more intelligent, and that's actually yeah. also part of the base game, so it's not just the DLC, it, it, it's changes to the actual base game that they're actually making. We also got more information about, you know, obviously some of the new reboots and stuff. Payday 3 is going to be coming out, so goody for you, uh, everyone who likes that. Microsoft Flight Simulator and the new City Skylines. Uh, one that I was surprised by, uh, even though I'm not going to play it still, is Sea of Thieves is going to do a Legend of Monkey Island expansion. Oh, You're, okay. I was like, that's kind of awesome. I love that. And Skybrush Threepwood, uh, like as the old man huddled away in a hermit cave and then Chuck comes in and everything and it's like, okay, that's awesome. I, I still am not playing Sea of Thieves, but I <laughs> I love that as a concept. <laughs> that's great. But I think what was I, I was really impressed by and the thing I wanted to actually focus on is the amount of like new IPs that are coming out from uh, existing studios and the ones that they all wanted to cite. Um, Fable is a remake, obviously, although I'm excited about that. From oh, they're remaking uh, Fable? They're remaking Fable. Or are they remastering it? Or no, like this is a brand a new, new game. This is a brand new game. 
Oh, so they're pulling a god of war. Exactly. They are pulling a god of war. Uh, Fable is uh, being done by Playground Games. They're pretty well known for the Horizon series, the Forza Horizon series. So oh, this okay. Is a little bit of a departure. It's been in a it's not really. Fable's not really a car driving game, but I guess it's fine. No, no. It's it's a departure for them. It's definitely different, although I think if they're trying to do some of like those open world elements possibly in this, it makes sense because that's also what Horizon was. So f- why don't they just give it to Ubisoft? Why don't they just give it to Ubisoft? Uh, well, because Ubisoft isn't actually their development house. Oh, that, I guess that's fair. Neither here nor there. I think that was interesting is that they had a lot of brand new IPs that they were coming out with, and I wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about those. Uh, one of the early ones that they had was one called South of Midnight, which is a really interesting, like, stylistic uh, piece that's set in what looks like the bayou in the south uh, with some of the... Uh, more spiritual elements, like like of characters from like voodoo and mythology of that sort, uh, and coming from Compulsion Games. Compulsion uh, did We Happy Few, and they did oh, okay. Contrast before that. What I found really neat is that I'm going to tell you about a few different games, and they're all coming from these studios that I think people already have a pretty good idea of their their products. And what they did, very smartly, is before they really even did anything of showing the game, they made it very clear who the studios were that were working okay. on it. So even though they're new IPs, you're familiar with the company itself. And in South of Midnight, before you even see any of the characters on screen, Compulsion Games comes up across the, the side of like the boathouse as they're panning along. Uh, but that looked really interesting. 33 Immortals is going to be a game from uh, Thunder Lotus, who are the ones that did Spirit Fair, and I'm always happy okay. about that. But this one's like, it's like Hades. Remember Hades? Yeah. Okay, it's like Hades, but it's a 33-player co-op version of Hades. What? Yeah. Why? Because don't you have 33 friends that want to do Hades? So it's a... a- boss rush it's raid battles from warcraft but an arpg it's a co-op action roguelike and you it, you can play with up to 33 play- That's why it's called complete, 33 is it like fall guys no is no. it like uh you do dungeons and you complete levels by killing monsters you would you would complete it by killing monsters but i think it if it's anything like a, a hades you keep going like at through level after level after level until like everybody everybody dies. So it's basically just like the people who would play uh, World of Warcraft and just do dungeons and raids. I think they're hoping that that's the kind of crew that they're going to get. But people who also liked Hades and like kind of like the punishing action roguelike sort of setup. Sure, but, but I don't yeah. feel like the people that like Hades are the same people that are going to want to sit in a game with 32 of their favorite people. <laughs> they don't have to be your favorite people. They can be assholes. They can be... <laughs> sure, uh, but 30, 30 people requires teamwork. Theoretically. I mean, and I guess that's strategy. Gonna be, I guess that's going to be where the fun comes in, Alex, of seeing if, if 33 people can actually get on the same page of being cooperative. I, I'm sure they can't, uh, and unless it's ranked, then you're going to have people just trying to one-up everyone and not listening. It's pretty great. 
can't wait for that. Uh, I can't wait to see the uh, Let's Plays. I like Thunder Lotus Spirit Fair. It was a great game, uh, and, and this has a wonderful visual style to it. I, I, I'm not big on, like, big co-op action stuff, so... Yeah. But I might try it out. 33 or more. A lot of these are coming, like, day one to Xbox Game Pass, by the way. Like, these are brand new releases. They'll probably be coming directly to Xbox Game Pass in, in, in the next year or so. One of the big ones that they announced was, uh, obviously from our friends at Obsidian. Avowed. Here's the question I guess I would pose to you. What if Obsidian made Elder Scrolls? New Vegas, but not... In the post-apocalypse? Yeah. I guess it's actually set in the universe of the Pillars of Eternity series. So, okay. So it's, it does have a little bit of a, a standing lore that it's in. But it's going to be in first person. It's going to be like an action RPG. And it's coming from Obsidian. This is going to be 2024. And it looks good. Um, obviously, I'm a big Obsidian fan Yes. Really love their work and love their, you should, their writing. You should just try to get someone from Obsidian on our show sometime so you can fangirl over them. Yeah, I'm going to fangirl <laughs> freaking out. Oh, yes. I did. I re I, by the way, folks, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I really <laughs> love Obsidian. Outer Worlds was great. I love New Vegas. Oh, also, they were the ones that did KOTOR 2 Sith Lords. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you did you know that? Okay. I think I did. Okay. What else Wizard did they do, Nathan? What else did they do? Oh, didn't they do Tyrant? I, I want to say that they or Tyranny. Sorry, Tyranny. Ah. I haven't gotten a chance to play Tyranny yet. Oh, I have that. I have it too. I just haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. Well, you need to. Get... Anyways. Oh. Anyways. They also they also made Grounded. They did. They, they made Grounded. Uh, I was thinking of Snowblind, who did Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance too. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you know, that's not. that's I don't a, think they're around. No, Maybe. I think I think that they're I think they're gone. Um, Black Isle Games. Black Isle, yeah. Well, so much of Black Isle, not to get too off topic, but so much of the people that worked on Black Isle games ended up, like, working on with Obsidian, so... There you <laughs> like, go. Like, there was another game uh, coming out, I, there's so many games, uh, called Jusant, I think I'm saying that right, from Dontnod. Dontnod is an interesting company because they usually make those narrative games, you know, the Life is Stranges and, and those okay. kind of things. Yep. This is not. This, this is has narrative elements, but it's actually mostly focused on uh, this uh, kid, and he's got this little blobby thing in his backpack, and they it's a lot of mountain climbing. Okay. And you go up to these summits, and you talk to the people that are in there, so I guess there's some narrative elements. So it's like a short different. hike? It's like that, yeah, I suppose so. We got five seconds, basically, of a game called Still Wakes the Deep. Is that like Dredge? No, I think that this is going to be more of a horror game. Uh, okay. It's coming from the Chinese room. Dear Esther was one of the things that they, they made. But they're used, they're kind of well-known for like the narrative games. Uh, and this looks like that, but it's also a horror game that's going to be like in first person where you are like on an offshore oil rig that might okay. be visited by some kind of almost Cthulian horror, it kind of feels like. You know, like. 
first of all, Cthulhu is an ideal, not a monster. <laughs> right. Second of all, you remember when we talked about that really photorealistic body cam shooter game? Yeah. Footage, uh, sorry, graphics like that in an offshore oil rig horror game, please. It doesn't have that level of realism, I don't think, from the body cam, but it is kind of like set as like a cosmic horror sort of inspired offshore oil rig where you're like all alone on this thing. And so, seems cool. Towerborn is going to be coming from the folks that made Banner Saga, so stoic. Your whole civilization has been relegated to like this one windmill, and you have to like send crews out into the wilderness to battle the monsters uh, that are, are continually surrounding this one last bastion of civilization that you've you've built. Okay. So it's Frostpunk means meets Darkest Dungeon. Uh that's not I guess that's not a bad way of explaining it. Yeah, it Did you play Frostpunk? Sadly, yes. <laughs> what do you mean sadly? I didn't like Frostpunk. Oh, I mean, it was a it was a decent game. It was a decent game, but I got frustrated with it. It's supposed to be frustrating. Well, then they succeeded tremendously well. It's a, it's supposed to be a not city builder because you're not building a city. It is a survival game, right? But with city building elements, right? But they're more for survival. Um, I thought it was decent, not worth, like, me playing multiple games of it. I did finish the main storyline, though, and thought it was pretty well done, so. Right. Uh, I think the thing that frustrated me is that even when I would plan this stuff out and, like, you know, tried to, tried to work out, like, where I needed to, you know, focus on stuff, they just throw monkey wrenches into it continuously and just like totally screw up my entire plan and i'm like well then why am i even making plans what's the strategy here yeah i I got a plan ahead and then have backup plans you got apparently have backup plans but it got very frustrating with me it's like oh yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna help the citizens and i'm gonna create comfort and then they still rebel yeah, well, After you gotta make the children work so that you can afford to have all the coal you need to keep them warm, otherwise everybody dies. This is, this is true. Yeah, I could, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, child labor, yee. The last one, though, got everybody very, very excited, and I have to tell you that I am one of them. This is definitely one of the big ones that I'm going to be waiting on pins and needles for, uh, and it's a game called Clockwork Revolution. Okay. Clockwork Revolution, Alex, is going to be a first-person RPG set in sort of like a cyberpunky kind of, or uh, I should say a steampunky kind of world, and it's being done by In Exile. They're the okay. ones who made the Wasteland series. Oh, and you do like the Wasteland series. So that the, yeah, In, In Exile is an excellent game house. I have not seen them do like a first-person action game before, which is what this is. It looks fantastic and i'm very very excited when people when people saw that it was a world premiere no one had seen this before people were very very excited to see this game and it is definitely on a lot of people's radars now uh and i I totally understand that because again before they even showed anything that's the great thing before they really showed much of the game itself in exile entertainment shows up and and immediately i go 
ooh. <laughs> and then I see that it's not a Wasteland game, and I'm instantly intrigued, because, oh, it's not a Wasteland game, well then what are they making? And when they showed the world building that they're building for this, which looks kind of Bioshock-inspired, almost, you know, that kind of, like, neo-futurism sort of thing, or, or the old-school kind of futurism. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Uh, so, looking forward to that. But I was very impressed just by the amount of new IPs that they were showing off that were probably about 50% of the overall show interspersed between sequels and reboots. Loved all of that. And then, obviously, Starfield, which is coming from Bethesda. I just really wanted to highlight the fact that there were so many new IPs that were which coming Which is out. always fun. I'm always happy to see it, but I think that they did a very, very smart thing in that they were highlighting the new IPs that are from existing companies that they have, d existing developers, that already have an established body of work. So people are on board for them because of the studio that's developing them, even though they're a new IP. Microsoft did a good showing. I don't know if any of them are going to be actually good when we play it, but if their yeah. if their goal was to make you excited and you know show a presentation of what we want the game to be, they definitely succeeded in that. Well, that's good at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 did what they needed to do in making people excited for the product. That's coming. they generated the hype. They generated the hype, and I, unfortunately, in this day and age, hype is kind of everything. <laughs> I don't know if any of that even appeals to you, uh, or if any of that sounds interesting to you. Some of it? I'll have to check out some of the stuff. If uh, you watched the conference, or if you saw any games that were in any of these showcases that you liked, please let us know in the comments down below. Uh, let me know if you're excited for any of them. Uh, and why I might need to be less or more excited about the ones that I seem to be citing here. Yeah, tell Nathan to be less excited about Obsidian. That's not possible, Alex. <laughs> no one can make me less excited about Obsidian. I'm I'm a stand for only a few companies. Obsidian's one of them. There That's, you go. That not a lot of game dev houses that I that I have that kind of passion for, but Obsidian's one of them because I. I really have never been disappointed by Obsidian. <laughs> there you go. Even even their games that just completely everyone forgets, like Alpha Freaking Protocol. It's just like I still liked Alpha Protocol. I was just talking a little bit about the Xbox showcase, and there you was were. There was a game that I didn't really get much into, but I thought made pertinent sense to talk about right now, uh, because you were interested in talking a little bit about space, and... Space. As Tim Curry once said, Space! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we gotta make... The uh, title of this episode has to just be Spice. With, with that one screenshot of the Tim Curry one, saying it. Yes, the legend. From Command and Conquer Red Alert 3. 3, yeah. The the legend, the legend himself. Uh, but anyway, we were going to talk a little bit about space, and I thought it made sense because uh, they released some 
stuff about Starfield. Actually, they had a whole thing after the initial conference, which was an in-depth look at、uh, Starfield. It was like 45, 50 minutes or something of talking about Starfield specifically. And one of the things that people talked about afterward was the debate, as we get into a lot of times, about size—the size of a space game, how big it actually is, and if it really should be as big as they're making it. Because I know you haven't seen the conference, but I will give you an impression that they're talking about a thousand planets. Okay, are these? Like fully crafted out planets, like fully explorable. Like, I, how big are these planets? I, are we talking? There's a settlement you go into, and a little bit of wilderness. This is what I don't know. I have an impression that there are certain worlds that are like the core story worlds, where there are there are actual towns and cities and hubs and everything like that. And that there are other planets that you visit that have more radiant quests that are like、uh, procedurally generated, so that there's a combination of them.、Uh, that you have some places that are definitely crafted specifically, and that there are other places that are like procedurally generated areas. I don't know what the percentage from one to the next is.、Uh, if I were a betting man, I would probably say that there's like. Five to ten of the worlds that are crafted specifically so that they can do stories and missions and hub worlds and characters, and that there would be more radiant quests on you know the rest of them, so that you can gather resources or expand your lore, or, you know, go go and check out the cosmos and everything like that.、Uh, that would be my guess. Maybe ten to twenty,、uh, because it sounds like they're trying to. The overall quest line is about discovering some of the questions that have plagued mankind from the very beginning. Now that they can shoot for the stars. So anyway, this has kind of led to a lot of people asking about you know the size and the scope of space games and what that actually means. And you had some thoughts about space. Yeah, I I play a fair number of space games. I enjoy、yeah. a fair number of space games. I have、mm-hmm. Elite Dangerous that I have several hundred hours into and is one to one scale of the Milky Way Galaxy.、Um, no Man's Sky, which is just enormous, but also feels incredibly empty at times. Yeah.、Um, there's games like Stellaris, for instance,、yes. which is、uh, again galaxy spanning. Huge.、Okay. Uh, th- there's other games too that I have like on my wish list, like Everspace 2, for instance. You've played a bit of. Oh yes,、um, yes, and I've played and more I think, of it since it、uh, released in full from out of game preview. But, and then I think、uh, there、yeah. was one Rogue Galaxy or something like Rebel Galaxy. There's just、yeah. a ton that are like I love the idea, and then like Eve Online, you know,、yeah. things like that. You know, there's a ton of ton of space games out there,、mm-hmm. but、um, scope and scale are one of those things that. Think space games do wrong. I don't think they、Fair. focus where they need to、mm-hmm. a lot because they want to go. Space is big, and we want to show you how big space is. Yes. And Nathan, have you ever watched a movie or something with space in it? Uh, I mean, I hear that there was this thing about wars in the stars. 
and yeah, Trexian and, stars, and yeah. I've seen some things about that. So, uh, what do they usually gloss over in those movies? Oh, the the emptiness of space. That's why they need to do hyperdrives, and they need yeah. to warp speed. Yeah, so the big thing that they gloss over in space media is the fact that space is vast, empty, and boring. The hyperdrive, the warp drive, the faster-than-light drive. Yeah. In my favorite book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. You know how they do it in that? It's the infinite improbability drive. It just kind of pops you out somewhere. Right. Uh, Warhammer 40k, space, uh, faster, faster than light travel isn't quite fast enough, we're gonna use some, you know, psychic interface here with the, uh, warp space, and it kinda poops you into another realm of reality, and then poops you back out. I don't know why I'm using the word poops. Uh, well, because, uh, space is shit, I don't know. There's a lot of emptiness with nothing going on. Have you ever played Breathage? I have it. I have not played it yet. Okay. Uh, I think in some way... Maybe I'll do it on stream at some point, just cause to kind of showcase. But I think that that kind of explains your problem with the vastness. Like, it's in space, uh, but it's obviously trying to, you know, hone itself in. But there's still a lot of your time where you're trying to traverse the emptiness without running out of oxygen before you have to get back to a hub and just trying to find the little elements that are scattered throughout what is now this gigantic open space. Some people have called it like Subnautica in space, but I think that that's a little bit of a disservice to Subnautica because at least in Subnautica it feels like the world is more alive than that. Yeah. Um, but in space, it is. It's just. It's literally just that vacuum. Right. That has these so, little things in it. So in the case of like Starfield, if it's a thousand planets, that's a lot of planets. But if each one is really only the size of say a city in Skyrim. Yeah. Is it? really fair to call them planets and not just a thousand different individual cities or if they are as big as like a planet but the amount of stuff you actually do is just indicative of wh what you'd see in a normal hub area of of a skyrim like yeah. it, like like imagine if you had riften and it's like uh, the amount of stuff that you did in riften but it's a planet it's the same amount of content, but it's on a literal planet now. So yeah. you have to kind of go around to find, find and, stuff. And then it begs how big are the planets? Are they the size of planets in, say, Outer Wilds? Which right. is to say, small and Very traversable small. in a matter of minutes. Right. Or are they big, like in Elite Dangers, when the planet you land on can literally be hundreds of kilometers, you know, in diameter? Right. You know, or right. thousands of kilometers in diameter. Like, you can land on it, get out into a moon buggy, essentially, and then, like, this planet has a diameter of 300, you know, meters or whatever it is, the, the kilometers. Yeah. It's like, That's hey, I've got, uh, I could travel around this entire planet on this car, and it would take me a while. So, space is big. Yes. We know this. Space is also very empty. Despite yes. how much stuff is in it. As, uh, again, my favorite book, Douglas Adams, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies, space is really big. Mind-bogglingly big. It's also really boring. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have been noted to say probably on multiple occasions, I think space games could do better focusing down on a smaller area of space. So a thousand planets? Don't need that. Give me ten. Yeah, give me ten that are really, you know, rich yeah. in, in what they do. Uh, that's Hey, listen, if you were giving me, like, ten planets and each one of those planets was, like, the content and the size of a Skyrim, uh, that's way more than I ever needed, yeah. you know? Like, so Skyrim was big enough. Humans in real life inhabit one planet. Yeah. And there's a lot to do here. Yeah. When we don't do a fraction of it. No. no so, like, our solar system has, a, you know, at least eight other planets, depending on how you're counting. Sure. You know, and dwarf planets. And, like, even if you're to set a game in space, in our solar system, if you wanted to, you could make it a one-to-one size of our solar system and actually have it still be hundreds of thousands of miles. Yeah. And and from one side, like, to the other. From the sun out to the furthest point would be hundreds of thousands of miles. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think millions right to be fair i don't remember how big our solar system technically is right right well i mean if you think about like a, the size of something like a jupiter you can't like get around jupiter in like it, it if it was walkable it would take you your lifetime practically to get several, around several yeah, of them several of those lifetimes now if you include then moons and everything so that you have like io and europa and, and all of those and going yeah. around those enceladus you know then you add that all together that's not just a game world that's literally your lifetime if if we that's... get to a point where you ha- can take your entire lifetime to try and get through a game it's yeah. a little big and I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily mind it if you were providing context for it but obviously they're not doing that like there's yeah. there's not no one actually even if you love epic rpgs no one actually wants a game that is going to take you years and years <laughs> to finish right that's why you usually see main campaigns even if there's all of this side stuff that are usually like 10 to 20 hours for the main campaign even if there's a hundred hours of content in there would it be really cool if a if a game decided to go hey we're making a space game it's set in the solar system and we're gonna have earth mars you know and a couple of the moons Sure. And maybe Pluto actually like habited, inhabited, mm-hmm. and then some star bases and some other bases on other moons. Sure. And then the rest of it has maybe there's some mining rigs and some uh, shipyards and stuff out there. There's stuff all over, but it's like we're only going to massively have populations on uh, like Earth, Mars, uh, maybe Mercury, but that's a little bit too close to the sun, so who knows? Maybe you could have one of those theoretical cloud cities uh, in Venus. Yep, yep. Since um, it's theorized we could have a habitable zone in Venus's atmosphere. Right, you can't have it on the ground because you'll get crushed to bits. Crushed and melted. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you had something like that, but then we're like, we're gonna actually, like, fill it with a... D- hundreds dozens of different places you can go sure but it's still one-to-one scale 
with the actual solar system. You go, mm. wow, this is a lot. Because right. instead of now you've got an entire galaxy, mm-hmm. thousands of planets, you've got, I've got thousands of points of interest sure. in a, a space I'm familiar with, and it's still gargantuan. One problem, I'll play devil's advocate here, and I'll say, I, I think that the one problem here is when we're talking about trying to, you know, make a space game smaller in its scale, I also think that one of the reason people like the idea of space is because of the vastness and the the, the enlargement of it, like how how massive a world scale is. There's a certain awe and inspiring nature to the the sheer gravity around you. And when we try to create those smaller spaces, you kind of still have to make it feel large in scope. Because the reason why people want to play a space game is for the very reason that it feels huge. Even if you're not necessarily going through the boring parts, it, it still needs to feel huge. Like, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working my way through the Mass Effect series uh, trilogy again. I'm doing the Legendary Edition. And they have a few, depending on which games you play, they have interesting ways of representing, like, the Milky Way galaxy. Different clusters where your ship can go to these different planets on an overmap. And if there's anything interesting, you can, like, scan the planets, and there will be occasionally some missions that are on those planets. And then when you go to those planets, you get down into the missions, and you're in the facilities, or you're in the specific areas where the missions take place. So that even though, you know, you're going to this one system and then this one planet, where you're really at is the city. You're at the city of Ilium, you're at the Citadel, you're at Omega, wherever. uh, That it hones it back in from these very large places down to, to the very small ones. Where they got into trouble, as you probably know, is that after they did the trilogy, they did Andromeda. And people were not big on Andromeda. Do you right. know the big change that they made to the I don't the design? know what the change was in Andromeda. Instead of focusing on the narrative of going to those very specific areas, in Andromeda they had planets that were open world areas that you explored. Okay. So that you would go around and do more of the sandboxy stuff. So it was less focused on the story elements and more focused on the exploration of these of all of these planets that you would go to. And my remembrance, although I guess since I'm going through the trilogy, maybe I'll do Andromeda again. My remembrance is... Oh, you have to. It's part of the trilogy. No, Andromeda is the fourth one. It doesn't count oh. as part of the trilogy. Well, you have to, because now I said so. Now, now you said so, but... Uh, if I go back to Andromeda, I might be able to confirm this later, but but the thing I remember about Andromeda is the feeling of being off the narrative track a lot, where I was just kind of like going off into seemingly nothing to experience very little that had to do with this very rich storyline and character development that I remembered from the first three games which is what people really loved about it, even though space felt big. And in Andromeda, they kind of wanted to say, but now we're going to explore it, but then you create these large areas that 
feel more empty, they don't actually create more content right. as they did from the first one. Is this really devil's advocate or telling me that I'm right? You're, you're right. My devil's advocate part was the idea of making sure that you can still give the scope of the space games without losing the vastness of it. Because in those first three games, they still have the vastness of space. Oh yeah, the you way know. you do that is you let you you let somebody stand on the ground on one of the moons of Jupiter or Saturn. Mm-hmm. As they view Jupiter or Saturn from the ground, looming entirely taking up your entire sky. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a thing, I took a screenshot, I think, of in the first game, where you get to, like, be on a rover on the Mako, uh, on the moon. And you can take a screenshot where Taylor's you are looking where you are looking at Earth. Yeah. So you're staring up at Earth and getting a very good sense of scope. Uh, you mentioned Everspace 2. And I think yes. Everspace 2 actually does something really interesting with that. Because I was thinking about this not too long ago, about how they get around this one problem. And they do a really good job of it. They have areas where you have the missions. Mm-hmm. Now they know that you, you have this huge amount of space, and you're going to have to do it. And so they go into basically like a hyper route. Your hyper route takes you from the one area that you're exploring, and takes you onto essentially like a 3D overmap. That's still a plane, and you can you you can say that's the point I want to go to. And mark it on your map, and you'll go there to another area where the actual stuff is on a different planet. Along the way, though, you get these little signals that says distress signal here or point of interest or something like that. And you can veer off and go to those places. But when you go, it's again a much smaller area of space that you're exploring that has essentially a boundary to it. Because it's because they're saying just that. There's nothing beyond this that's worth looking at. Here's where the actual here's where the actual mission stuff is. Here's where it is. It's similar but different to like how Elite Dangerous does it. It goes, oh hey, there's a thing here, but there's no boundary when you're there. It's here's where the thing is. It's here, and it takes place in this area. Yeah. And then outside of that, you you can still go wherever you want, but it's like. There's not much generated right. out there. Right. So, like, I, I guess this is the speculative part, is that I don't know what Starfield's really going to do. I guess we're going to find out soon, because I think it launches in September. It's it's coming out very soon. Um, but from what I saw, literally exploring your ship, uh, being able to go on to other ships, doing, like, stealth missions to take over those ships, doing combat in space, doing stuff on ground... I don't know how they're going to handle this, but I guess we're going to have to wait and see. If yeah, maybe we'll they find come out. up, maybe they come up with a good solution to this problem of creating a vastness of space while also not bogging you down in monotony. Yeah. So the one thing I'm hoping from Starfield is to fight a space dragon. There also has to be horse armor for my spaceship called the Horse. Yes, you can. You can build your ship however you want you you can i'm gonna make mine a horse 
Make it look like a Trojan horse. You Make it look like a horse head and then name it horse armor. Horse armor. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. perfect. I think you can do that. I think it, I think Good. it's possible. If I get Starfield, I'll be doing that. And perfect. I, I like Elder Scrolls, and I liked Fallout, and I definitely never beat Fallout 4, but I'll, I'll have to keep an eye on Starfield because they do make pretty solid games for all the bugs they have. I will shit on Bethesda a lot of the time for the amount of bugs and things, but one thing I can never really cite them for is that they don't have aspirations to make a very large epic game. Whether they succeed right. or fail, they do have designs to make something that truly feels epic in scale. And more or less, that thing they tend to get right. They get the they get the feeling of something epic and and awe inspiring, yeah. whether it succeeds or fails. But in the meantime, if you have thoughts on uh, space games, yes, the scope of them, whether they're too big, too small, or just right, maybe did uh, they hit the Goldilocks zone. Did they hit the Goldilocks zone where life is inhabitable and you are able to sustain liquid water? If you are uh, thinking about that, let us know in the comments what you think. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Tell us uh, your favorite space fact. Tell us if there's a space game that you really liked and how they handled uh, travel. Because there's yeah. plenty of them out there. So, Alex, on the last segment, you did mention Space Dragons. I did. And it got me to thinking about something that segues really well into our next segment. I'm so happy about that. Good. Saw something on one of the forums uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, somebody that was asking about the idea of combining monsters, making new monsters. Let's say a monster mashup of sorts. Uh, the uh, post reads, uh, My party is soon to face a mad scientist who has been combining the DNA of different animals slash monsters. I already have a chimera and manticore, but I was wondering if there were any others I could homebrew or already exist. Any suggestions? Okay, well, obviously space dragons. Um, dragons that are, are meshed with some kind of cosmic monster. That's always good. Uh, but I was just wondering, Alex, have you ever, I'm going to start here, have you ever, in a game, homebrewed a monster that was a combination of multiple other monsters? Yes. Okay, great. Half-Black Dragon Shark. A, ha a, a ha Black Dragon Shark? Half-Black Dragon Shark. Nice. Back in 3.5, uh, we made a dungeon, um... And we had a room that essentially, you know how you have rooms that are flooded and have you know, got like walkways over the water? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it wasn't a walkway over water. It was a walkway over giant vat of gelatinous cube type stuff. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, Great. except uh, they, the jello, as it were, the gel, gelatinous, mm -hmm. like liquid in there, uh, inhabited by half black dragon sharks. Great. Um, which we, because uh, <laughs> they are nasty, because sharks are f scary and nasty. I know you love sharks. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> Why do you think um, I don't play Sea of Thieves? Yeah, Guy so. Um, would can't make me do it. Basically, the shark had a swim speed through the uh, gelatinous cube. 
great. Because it also had uh, immunity to acid. Black dragon, right? And so as the party was trying to cross this, you know, maybe 10 foot wide stone thing that had some pitfall traps in it, like that would just fall away so they could fall into the, the you know, acid, yeah. essentially. Uh, the sharks would be jumping over occasionally trying to eat them. Great. Love yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking to myself, like, gelatinous cubes, I don't know if I can combine them with anything. Like, I just from a realistic standpoint, like, what do you merge a gelatinous cube with? If it's... Oh, you put something inside it. You put something like inside a ha- Like a half-black dragon shark. Oh, okay. And by half-black dragon, I do not mean it is, like... A small black dragon that is a shark. It was a template in 3.5 you could apply to creatures to give them the half-dragon template. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Could we make... That's scary. I was just thinking of uh, doing... Crossing an Ankeg with a Displacer Beast. Ooh. Yeah. I'm thinking of a Rust Goblin. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's uh, part Rust Monster, part Goblin. It's got all the properties of a rust monster, but it is like goblins and just the tribe of them. They eat metal, and if you hit them with your weapons, the metal corrodes. Pretty nasty. I thought that rust monsters were pretty much forbidden to use in games. <laughs> no, no. They, they people just uh, players like just don't like them when you yeah. use them against them. You know what would be cool though? A rust dragon, and when the, the when when the dragon breathes. It just rusts all the metal. <laughs> Even better is you have to make a, a constitution saving throw or it yeah. oxidizes your blood. Oh, God. That's great. Because, you know, it's full of iron. Yeah, that's true. Hope you're not playing a Warforged. <laughs> your character's dead. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I need a... I, I like that idea, though. A Rust Dragon. And the Breath Weapon... Is, is literally like an oxidizing breath yeah. weapon. That would be I like, terrific. Uh, fu- I like fusing elementals together. Oh, f- perfect. Uh, which is a premise from one of my previous campaigns where some mad scientist, uh, we call him Doc Johnson. Yep. Yeah. Doc Cave, Cave Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> um, was uh, experimenting with elementals and fusing two different elementals to a core. Okay. Um, and so you would have a fire and water elemental fuse, which would be a steam, steam elemental, elemental, essentially. Yeah, okay. Or you'd have a, a water and air elemental, which would be like a storm elemental. Oh, gotcha. Um, you know, you just fuse them and try different things, and that did not go over well for him. But fusing elementals is always fun. Or you could fuse, uh, you could give something elemental properties, for instance. Oh, okay. But we're not doing rust elementals. No, thank you. I'm trying to remember. How do mind flayers work? Um, evilly. <laughs> okay, because I'm just thinking of what I might be able to uh, put, like, the the psychic flaying that a mind flayer can do into a monster that it really should never go into. Uh, ooh, flying snakes. Could I make a mind flayer flying snake? That just sounds like headcrabs. It kinda is. 
Thank so you. they were just looking for like hybrid monsters you did? Like combining monsters to make nastier monsters? Yeah, combining the DNA of different uh, animals or monsters. Because the mad scientist is on his mad science sheet. Sure. I had an idea for uh, tribes of goblins. Again, not different kind. The other one was just one I thought of now. Um, I had an idea before though. Um, are you familiar with... Remember... Um, Karast in Diablo 2. Okay. You remember those little little pygmies, the little fetish oh, assholes yeah, yeah, yeah. the blow darts? They, they were dicks. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So those gave me the idea for goblins, jungle goblins that lived in the treetops. They ride dire bats. Perfect. And they themselves, uh, their shamans are vampir vampiric. Okay. They eat bones. Oh my. And they use bone uh, spears and bone blow darts and poison. Oh. So, you know. They, they um, sound horrible. Yeah, they sound like... It was the idea was most of the time you see goblins and they're kind of not very effective in games. No. They're, they're meant to be just kind of fodder. These goblins would be like, hey, yeah, we may be fodder, but our shaman is a mm. uh, vampire, essentially. Right, right. And then... Uh, we have dire bats, and the shaman can turn into a vampire bat. Okay. And then we also use a ton of poisons. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah, they're they're like uh, they're right more evil Ewoks. Yeah, like what the scientist would be able to get its hands on. Like we have a, a chimera and manticore combination, which just seems like a whole lot of stuff that's, that's going on. That's just a chimera. That's just like, yeah, I, I keep thinking to myself, well, depending on how you want to do Chimera and Manticore, my god, that's a lot of, that's a lot of heads. <laughs> that's a lot of heads on there. I would take a Snapping Turtle and, and give it Rock Elemental Powers. That's good. Yeah, so that's you get good. a Stone Turtle. I get the feeling like what most people would normally do is they would take a they would take a monster and they would like put an elemental frame over it. Sure. Like, realistically. I, I would like to use a Hook Horror. Oh, okay. I don't know that. It, it's a abomination. Uh, hook horror's got these big hooky arms that live in the Underdark, but you get a hook horror and you uh, combine that with, say, a minotaur. Perfect. A, a horror-tor. Minnowhook. I don't know. You call it whatever you want. So you get a minotaur that, instead of big, bulky minotaur arms, has giant hook blades for arms. Maybe we do something a little bit uh, smaller, too. Like, oh, sure. What if we took like sprites? Sprites are dicks already. Exactly. Sprites are already dicks. But then if we combine them with something, they could be even bigger dicks. Uh, what if... Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. That's <laughs> We combine uh, the sprites with some black cherry. I was thinking mimic sprites. Mimic sprites. What do they mimic? Other sprites? Uh, anything small. Oh, okay. But their sprites are like tricksters, so... Right. So this works maybe it, well. Maybe it takes the form of a coin. Oh, yeah. And you go, ooh, a coin, and you go to pick up like a pile of gold, and it fucking bites the shit out of you. And they start flying. Yeah. Flying well, I mean, mimics. Small flying <laughs> mimics. Yeah. Perfect. Just like a horde of flying mimics. Just... Nightmare fuel, right there. Could you combine a uh, mimic with a uh, gelatinous cube? 
don't see why not. It's kind of it'd be a gelatinous mimic. Well, I, I, I would think it make it. I see. So you how. give like yeah. So what you do is you give a gelatinous cube or a smaller cube, uh, the mirror mirror image spell. Okay. Yeah. Or something like that. Not mirror image. The one where disguised essentially. Yeah, illusion, minor illusion yeah. or major illusion. Yeah. Sure. Major illusion makes it uh, really undiscernible from something. Then you touch it, and it's gelatinous cube. Um, right, right. I just kind of like the idea of like you know you go up to the treasure chest, but it's not a mimic. It's like you 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 go to reach in, and the cube just like drags you in <laughs> instead instead of it like coming out and going rare. That's that's a, a thought. Or, even better, the chest is real, yeah. but the floor around the chest is the gelatinous cube. So okay. when you walk up to the chest, you fall into the gelatinous cube that's on the floor beneath you. It's disguised itself as the floor. The floor is cube. Okay, the floor is not lava, the floor is cube. The floor is cube, that's right. And then, then the chest could also be a mimic, but it's a different. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 uh, dissolves you, and then the mimic can eat your bones. Yum 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 yum. Yum 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 bones. Yeah, it'd be pretty great. You you can. They work together so well. The gelatinous cubes and mimics really got to work together more often. I say on the other side, we make a not so terrifying but kind of strange monster called the Santa Horse. The centa horse? Isn't that yep. just a centaur? No. It's no. a horse, but instead of four legs, it's got many more legs, and it is very long. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, a centipede horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The horse centipede. That's the new horror. The horsepede? The horsepede. Absolutely. Great. Love it. Oh, I can combine two things that I definitely always wanted to combine, which is the Pegasus and the Unicorn. That's not Pegacorns. No. Pegacorn. Unisys. No, I think they're actually called Alicorns. If I yeah, was, whatever. But it doesn't You've been watching My Little Pony again. I don't want to talk about this, Alex, anymore. Okay, this was a good segment, everyone. What monsters would you create into an interesting combo if you got the chance? Would you do any of the above or not? Please let us no, know in the no comments. No telling us that you do a uh, mimic and a nymph together, though. That's not okay. Take a dryad and a gelatinous cube. You deserve what you get. <laughs> you get what you deserve. Yes, you do get what you deserve. Yeah, you, you, you enjoy that. It's the last night of your life. Alex, I think we've gone on a wonderful journey through the mind on this episode. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex, if they wanted to go to any other place uh, where they could get more of our journey of imaginations, where could they go on the internet? Imagination Land, also known as TotalPubLockdown.com. When you get over there, you can check out some of our Patreon-only features, and you can also check out Titanium Mine and Creatures, which are some other segments that we do. Uh, you can also find us on social media. I am at Titanium. 
I am at EXP Limited. Our show is at Pebble Knockdown. And do not forget to check us out on every podcast app known to mankind. And please rate and review where applicable. It always helps us out. Uh, yeah. That being said, I think that we can get out of here uh, with all of these nightmare fuel creatures that we built. Um, you know what? We'll jettison them off to the far reaches of space and we'll probably never even see them when we get there. Yes, Space Parthenax will eat them, don't worry. Yep, perfect. Can't wait. Space Dragon. Space Dragon. That's all we need. Ooh, you know what? I just started to realize the worst monster for space are the Rust Monsters. Yeah, that's probably not so great for your ships. Exactly. It'd be like the trouble with Tribbles, but with Rust Monsters. And they just eat your ship while you're in. While you're in. They're... There was a creature like that in an episode of uh, Farscape. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're they're disguised as uh, metal ingots. Oh yeah, yeah. And they would eat through ship holes. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. Goodbye, folks. Bye. Get your recording shoes on. I'm not wearing shoes right now, but I'll try. Oh, you're not wearing shoes? Nope. I thought we were professionals. Uh, not in my own home, I'm not. I'm not wearing shoes either. Well, no, the remake of Final Fantasy VII is, but there's multiple parts to yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't so. realize the second part wasn't out yet. Yeah, apparently not. My favorite part, though, was where uh, Jeff Keighley uh, faked out the audience thinking that he was going to announce it earlier in the show, and then ended up doing a promo for DoorDash, which is the company that uh, created... Now I have to think about that for a second. That one game. Insert the picture here when you're editing. (laughs) But that that couldn't have affected Moya, could it? Biomechanical. Oh. They ended up having to torch 80% of Moya's hull to get rid of him. Perfect. I'm sure Moya really appreciated that.